We uh, had an opportunity to hear from Ben last week, and Ben challenged us to examine our hearts. His question was, is your heart in it, right? And so the more I thought about that, and it's funny how the Lord does this, so one of the things that I wanted to share over the next two weeks was, was formulated out of a, a passage of Scripture where Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is, and He's, you know, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And so last week, Ben tackled heart and said, man, what, are, what is it that sparks your interest, right? Where, where are your affections drawn? Your heart is pulled in those directions, and set your heart on those things. And I want to kind of expand over the next two weeks looking at uh, the two great commands. So if you look with me in, uh, in Matthew chapter 22, or if you're following along on version, you already see it there, Matthew chapter 22, and it's verses 33 and 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, The Pharisees got together, right? Because there's never-ending groups, right? When you're talking about people that are going to come against you or people that are going to formulate a different viewpoint than you, right? The Sadducees had a different viewpoint from what Jesus was saying. They challenged Him. He silenced them, and the Pharisees says, well, He's not going to do that to us, right? And so they took their turn. They got together, and one of them says, an expert in the law... They tested him with a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so you've heard evangelicalism rests there a lot, right? Love God, love others. It's this very simple concept to get your mind around. Love God first, and as you fall in love with Him, then you love others. And we're going to talk about loving others next week and what it looks like because there's a couple of pieces here in my mind. We talked about the heart last week, that your heart's affections need to really be in it. That your soul, right, can be engaged in it. That thing that your soul longs to pursue, right, that's deep within you. And how do you focus that? And then your mind, what do you do practically with it? What do you think about on a daily, daily basis? What do you do with those three things and how do you get them focused? Because we live in a world where priorities are somewhat muddled, right? It becomes a to-do list and we think we can have priorities, And if you look at the title of the sermon, (laughs) I was challenged by a fella that I was talking with, and he said, you use this word priorities, and I'm not sure that you understand what it means. (laughs) Because how can you have multiple priorities? When you really boil it down, you can really only have a priority, right? Because once you start to say there are multiple priorities, then you have to figure out what rises and falls to that level all the time, right? 
and you feel like you're just chasing plates around, like, like the old timers would, would know. And I love these old shows, watching them when the guys have a rod on the plate, right? A rod on the stage and a plate on top, and they're spinning one, and they run over and spin another, and they run another, spin see how many plates they can keep spinning. And that's really what it feels like this first week of school, doesn't it? How many plates do I have spinning, and how many have hit the deck so far? <laughs> they all can't rise and fall on the same level. They all can't be priorities. It's just not possible. We are not able to maintain that. We weren't made to. So my point in saying this, that that priority is a singular word, God says the priority is to love me. And so I would challenge you that maybe your priorities have gotten out of line because we follow what the world wants. The world wants to see accomplishments and things you've done, right? And I, and I used to be and, and probably grew up this way and it's still ingrained in me at times, right? Don't tell me how hard you work. Show me what you got done, <laughs> right? That's just how Western Pennsylvania is raised, accomplishments, what did I get finished today? I still struggle with it because in my job, I'm not hanging drywall. I can't tell you that's how many sheets I got hung. I can't tell you how many cars I repaired. I can't do that stuff in what I do. And so my brain struggles with this concept. And so I needed to hear what this fella had to say to me about the priority in my life and that I can apply that priority then to everything I do. Because the priority should be about what am I becoming, not what am I doing. We have a difficult time in our world and in our society and because the first question you ask somebody, right, is what do you do for a living, right? We identify each other by what we do, not necessarily by who we are. And so everything is twisted and our priorities get skewed because I think it's the underlying underlying piece of all of this is that we don't worry about what we're becoming, we worry about what we're getting done. And what God keeps telling you in His Scriptures is worry about what you become first, then you'll get things done. Over and over and over, as you read throughout Scripture, you see Him say that to you, right? Worry about me, then what you can do. He even says it here. Worry about loving me, and then love others. Because if I'm loving others, I can get so distracted with spending time in good stuff that I'm not spending any time in the best stuff. Mary and Martha were an example of that in the New Testament, right? One of them would sit at Jesus' feet and be with Him, and the other would scurry around making the meal. And, and Jesus would say, you got to slow down. You're worried about many things, but she has chosen the best. Because Jesus is there and present in our lives, and we get to spend time with Him. And so when I read this, I, it reiterates to me how my priority needs to focus on specifically God and pleasing Him and learning more about Him and then figuring out what to do with it. Not figuring out what He wants me to do. 
You see, I struggled with that for a lot of years. I, I knew, I knew in my heart, I started singing and doing some things when I was probably 12 years old. And a couple of groups found out I, I enjoyed doing that. And so I would go to like a little Lions Club or I'd be invited to this club or that club. And, and I would do these little half-hour performances for their banquets. And I would sing and I would always lace in some scripture and things. And I just thought that's what you were supposed to do. My, I didn't know any different. I, I enjoyed it. But I never necessarily wanted to do this for a living, Right? I didn't know that, that God was trying to convince me early on, just love me and I'll show you what you can do. <laughs> I thought I had to accomplish stuff. That God had this one really big thing for me to do and when I did it, then I would get it. But that's not really how our lives are constructed, is it? It's a lifetime of becoming. It was never about doing. It was never about finishing something and saying, that's what God made me to be or made me to do. Or... Because then what? <laughs> it's all about becoming and helping you understand how to love God with your heart, your soul, and with your mind. Completely and in, in total surrender, like what Ben said last week, that, that once you are in view of God's mercy, when you're standing there in the shadow of His mercy and you really understand His mercy in your life, then you surrender your life as a living sacrifice. You're all in. So priority is a singular thing to me because of that, because I have to think of it not based on what I do, but what I am becoming. And if I can be all in on the thought of becoming more like Jesus, then I have a lifelong pursuit. Then I don't have to worry about what I get done. I'm, I'm shaping my character and becoming who it is that I am supposed to be in and out of every season of life. My soul really longs for that, right? We long to be somebody, but sometimes we, when we want to be somebody, we want to list our credentials and our accomplishments, and we think that makes us somebody. Instead of being the person that God wants us to be and making that the priority of life. My soul, my passion, my pursuit, my enjoyments, how I literally breathe in my life. How would I identify that? Next week we'll talk about what we want to do, but, but I want to talk more about what we're becoming. Because even around us, as we look at 1136, this is the verse right before Ben spoke last week, right in view of God's mercy, he, he brings up the from Him and through Him and to Him in 1136. And I don't know if you notice it, right? But it says, Him, 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 and Him. All right, it's from Him and through Him and to Him and to Him be the glory. That, that what we're trying to do is really all about Him. And that's our priority. Who we are becoming like is about Him. In Matthew chapter 14, 
we see an example of what Jesus did. And the reason I chose these two things is because I think they're, they're good moments in Jesus' life. So if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 and 23, you'll see what, what Jesus did after some pretty major moments in His life. Jesus is coming off of uh, feeding the 5,000. Immediately, in verse 22, Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go ahead of Him to the other side while He dismissed the crowd. And after He dismissed them, He went up on a mountainside by Himself to pray. Later that night, He was there alone. There's something that we need to learn from Jesus. Jesus has just spent the afternoon preparing a few loaves and a few fish for 5,000 people. It would have been easy, right, in our world to live on that accomplishment for almost a lifetime, right? Imagine if you had done that one thing in your life. You could live on that in our culture your entire life. Jesus didn't have to leave that crowd. He could have stayed there and He could have soaked it up, right? He was the man. He was the guy. 5,000 people ate, didn't have to go anywhere, and there were 12 baskets left over. This is a guy that can produce food out of nothing. He could have stayed there and been a part of that. But he knew that it wasn't good for his soul. That what he was there to do was different than who he was. He was trying to to use these methods to impress upon them who he was, that he was the Son of God. The Israelites required signs. They needed to see that, that this truly was the Son of God because God provided for their needs all throughout the Old Testament. And he had to lace these two people together in their minds and provide for them this image that, the, that God was still with them and that he loved them, that he could provide for them, that he was going to protect them. And, and he could have stayed in that environment, but he knew his purpose was not to be the guy right there in that moment that was going to provide for them. That what they really were missing was salvation. That they were still missing the connection between Him and God the Father. They thought this guy could provide for all of their needs. They could battle anybody with this guy on their side. If they did it back then, they'd have had Jesus on their shoulders running around the field, right? That's what it would have looked like. But Jesus pulls aside and goes by himself to a mountainside and prays. Because humanly speaking, when we incur that kind of respect, that kind of of admiration, we will struggle with it. And we will need to be somewhere by ourselves to be recentered to pull away from all the things that we've done and just get with our Creator and rest our souls. 
to rejuvenate that longing that we have inside of us. To allow ourselves to be drawn closer and closer to the Creator that, that actually does all those things through us. Or we will never return the glory to Him. If you stay in the midst of those moments, it never pivots away from you and onto the Father. You've got to give yourself time to rest your soul, and our world is really difficult to find time for this. It's one of the reasons that I do a lot of reading. I, I try to hunt, fish, hike, those kinds of things. I, I used to think that I was kind of an extrovert because I'd get in front of a bunch of people and things, but I realized how tired that makes me. And so I, I just thought I was not liked in high school, but I actually realized I didn't like people. That was the problem. <laughs> so when I would go fishing or hunting, I wouldn't invite anyone to go with me. I just thought that was okay. I'd go out for eight hours by myself, and I was all right. My wife tells me I'm nuts because <laughs> she loves people. I need that time to revitalize my soul. John Muir, a guy that was uh, foundational in the national park scene with Teddy Roosevelt and some others, just, just had some time to read through one of his books and do some things. And one of, the, one of the quotes that he uses that I identify with is that I'm going into the woods to lose my mind, but to find my soul. Because sometimes it literally takes a physical action, right? to get the preoccupation of the to-do list out of your way to give your soul time to breathe. To remember why you do what you do. To take it in and to embrace it and say, this is what I was, this is what I was made to be. It's a son and daughter of God. That I get to be in this place. That He died for me and I get to have this opportunity, this platform, this, this whatever it is that you have in your life. To restore your soul's longing and intentions. To take those moments and, and breathe and drink deeply from them. Another moment in Jesus, His long career there's three years of ministry and over and over you visit this but mark chapter 4 says something very similar that day when evening came he said to his disciples again let us go over to the other side leaving the crowd behind they took him along just as he was in a boat and there were also other boats with him and so they leave the crowd intentionally again, and this time he takes the disciples with him, and he's going to spend some time just with them, resting and recovering and teaching them the value in it. The value in resting, recovering, recuperating, grieving. He does this as well when he finds out his dear friend John the Baptist is killed. He pulls away and he recovers and he grieves and 
We don't like to think about those things, but, and it can be small things. I, my wife will tell you that when my daughter went away to college, we struggled to figure out where that, that's our first child leaving the nest, right? And, and what is it going to look like? And she's 500 miles away, and we know a lot of people out there, but, and I would just go for drives. I would hike out on the mountain at Ogletown, and I would grieve. I did, it, and it was, it was necessary. For me to realize life was changing and to allow my soul to really embrace that moment. To grieve it and say, man, this this is not going to be the same. To give space for that in your own soul. Give it time. And Jesus was teaching His disciples that, that all of these things we, they were doing were valuable for the kingdom, but they were also valuable for their hearts and their souls. Pull away and look at what God has been doing and be thankful that He's using you. Let it restore your soul. <laughs> Spend time in reflection. You'll be thankful that you do. We were made to be in relationships. In Genesis chapter 3, I know I'm bouncing all over the place today because this is a theme that weaves throughout the entire book. The Bible, that is, not just the individual books. In Genesis chapter 3, we know the story that the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, right? We know that God created this man and woman and desired to have a relationship with him because he's walking around looking for them. He came and he was looking to have this relationship with them and that's why they were created. But they had hid from him, right? Because they had sinned and there was something between them and God. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord called to the man, where are you? And as I read that again this week, it was as if God was saying that to me sometimes, right? When he desires that intimacy and that level of relationship, do you actually sit still enough to hear Him say, where are you? Do you allow your soul to be penetrated to that depth? Have you ever exercised that part of your life? Because you're not going to be able to do it the first time. The first time you go and try to sit by yourself in a quiet space, you're going to drive yourself nuts. Because all you're going to be thinking about is the stuff you don't get done. This requires practice. That's why Jesus does it over and over and over. And He disappears from here and He goes there and He goes to the mountain. He takes His disciples. They pull away the night before He's killed, right? They're up in the middle of the night in a garden praying. Because it takes practice. You're not going to be able to run a marathon by just deciding to go out and do it today. It's not going to work. Same thing is true of finding soul rest. It's something you have to practice. 
couple of years ago, I tried to institute a day a month, one day a month after my sabbatical, that I would take a day and sit and just be quiet and still. I can probably make it about four hours now (laughs) before it gets the best of me. Now, I've learned that I need to hike at least. I need to be moving some during that time. And I can make it almost an entire day, but I can't just sit. I at least need to be moving and thinking and and allowing myself to do those things. It takes a long time to build up this part of your life, just like anything else. And the world really doesn't want you to do it. (laughs) It's going to battle and it's going to tell you, what are you doing? What have you done today? That's not what God asks, right? He asks, where are you? (laughs) Where are you? When's the last time we had a nice stroll? (laughs) When your soul is tired and weak, your mind will settle for entertainment instead of fulfillment. If you don't rest your soul, then you're going to be content to be just entertained and you won't understand true fulfillment. You'll just desire more and more entertainment. And it will never fulfill you. The endless amount of things that we can do in our daily lives is testimony to that, right? The DVR was not invented by a guy that was fulfilled by commercials. Because I can tape whatever I want and I can not watch a single commercial. I can watch an entire football game in about an hour or less because I have a 30-second skip button. I don't have to watch any of the huddling. I don't have to watch any of that. I can watch snap, tackle, snap, tackle, snap, tackle, right? I can get through an entire game that way. I can be entertained at the speed that I want to be entertained at in almost any capacity in my life. That doesn't mean I'm fulfilled. It just means I wonder what might be next, what might be next, what, right? I develop an appetite instead of being full. When your soul is tired and it's weak, that's when you will settle for entertainment instead of fulfillment every time. You've got to give your soul rest. I'm not going to get too far into meddling this morning. I'm not going to list anything specifically. I'm just going to give you a broad category here. Because your mind is going to play tricks on you all through this process. He says he wants your heart, your soul, and your mind, right? He wants your heart. He wants your passions, your affections, your love for God, right? Your soul, your deepest longings, the way in which you feel fulfilled and the things that that drive you to purpose in your life. And then he wants your mind. He wants you to think about him and he wants you to think about how to accomplish the things that you are doing and becoming. And how do we do that? In Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9 is a a list of things and 
I just want to bring it up because, again, I'm not going to meddle too much. You may think I'm meddling too much already. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, Paul says. And the God of peace will be with you. If your mind gets out of control, my belief is it's because you have not taken time to love God with your heart, to give your soul the rest and attention it needs, and your mind is preoccupied with the things that you have yet to do. And they're probably not things of God. You have allowed your heart and your soul to settle for entertainment, and then you have preoccupied your mind with all of the forms of entertainment that we have. And in all three categories, we're left feeling unsettled. There is no peace. There is a constant anxiousness in our lives. Tell me that you don't flinch every time your cell phone beeps or buzzes. There is an anxiousness, right? There is, a, there is a perceptible and definable presence of technology in every facet of our world. And it makes us anxious. It allows us to be controlled by it. We allow ourselves to be controlled by it. The immediacy of life around us waters down the priorities. The old saying was that, at least in my generation, <laughs> I can say that now, <laughs> was tyranny of the urgent. Okay? There was a phrase. And it just meant that urgency became the tyrant of your life. Whatever you deemed to be the most urgent thing was what became the priority. And urgency and priority are not the same. Very rarely will they even be in the same category. When someone's safety is on the line, okay, let's get urgent because that's the priority. When someone's texting me, and I'm having a conversation with my children, that's urgent, not priority. There is a difference. And if you allow yourself to be driven by urgency, then your soul will never rest, your mind will never find peace, and your heart will never find what God really anticipated for you. I know it's a total undoing of the way that we think even in our culture. And I think that's on purpose because culture's not from God. <laughs> the way that we live and satisfy our needs is very much against a lot of the ways God tells us to be fulfilled. 
we will not find fulfillment in the things that we think we will. The things that we do and the things that we accomplish only produce a more of a hunger for us to pursue better and bigger things. You're going to have to be honest with yourself in some of this stuff, but just think about how much money you had 20 years ago, okay? And how many years you spent thinking about making a little more and making a little more and making a little more, and now you make how much more than you made 20 years ago, and you still think, I need a little more, right? It's just the way we're wired. I'm guilty of it just like you are. Because it's never going to fulfill us. We're never going to get all the things that we want, right? It's just not that way. There has to be some prioritization in our lives. And I'm going to challenge you to take the stuff out of the way, the accomplishments, and move them to the side and worry about becoming somebody. Somebody that, that loves God with all their heart with all their soul, and with all their mind. Make those things the priority first and let the other stuff come as it will. Apply what you learn from spending time in God's Word to your relationships, to your work, to your families. Allow the time that you allow your soul to rest to impact your marriage. Give yourself time to rest that soul to unoccupy your mind and to find peace the priority of life is singular you're going to be in a constant battle over your attention <laughs> set your mind set your heart first Set your heart on earthly, not on earthly things. Take time to set your heart on eternal things. If your heart is set on eternal things, then rest your soul in all that God has already given you. If you understand eternity, then in view of God's mercy, you can sit in that shadow and drink in your soul deeply what it is He's already done in your life. And then find peace of mind. As you understand the priorities that you're pursuing are just that. They're priorities. Right? And you've forgotten what the priority should be. It's a tough time of the year for me to drop this on you because I know you've got school starting, right? But I know that we need to hear this stuff. It was, it was good for me to, to deal with some of these things in my own life. To think about how much time am I actually resting? How many days of the week am I actually working and looking at emails and doing stuff and, and why... I intentionally have developed, I have to leave my phone in the car or at home. Intentionally. Because I don't have the, the self-discipline not to look at it. 
I don't. So if I'm going to go visit with somebody, I have to leave it in my car or at home. And that helps me engage in that relationship more fully. That's just me being honest. Because I value the longevity of my soul and a peace of mind <laughs> that God wants so desperately for you to have. He wouldn't bring it up so many times throughout His Word if it weren't important for Him. Give yourself time to reflect on the things that your heart loves, to rest your soul and find peace of mind out there by knowing that all you are doing is loving God today. <laughs> that that's the priority. That I get to do that. If you have to have something to do, do that. In everything that you do, do that. Next week, we'll talk about that second command <laughs> and how our lives grow, we rest, we find peace, and we can then engage in what God might have laid out for us in advance to do. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in our hearts to draw us closer to you that you would, as we pull away, you would revitalize our souls. That you would give us those moments when we can just breathe the rest that comes from you. And as we do that, we find the peace that passes all understanding. That We don't even, we don't even understand how, how messed up our minds and our processes really were. We can just rest and think, man, it feels so good to be at peace. Lord, thank you for, for loving us so much and, and desiring this for us and giving us the clear directive that this is supposed to be our priority. This is what you ask of us. This is clear in your scriptures. I pray that we would pursue it. In Jesus' name, amen.